KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. For our weekend preview, we have a book fair, art from the Depression era, and more. Joining me with the details is KPBS arts producer Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. So San Diegans love books and bookstores. Yep. <laughs> so uh, let's start with the North Park Book Fair. What do you know? So this is the third annual event. It's along North Park Way. So right in the heart of North Park, um, right outside of Verbatim Books. And this year, they're also going to include the new mini park. This is an outdoor fair. It has a bunch of vendors, and it is all organized by Verbatim Books but also a bunch of the local independent bookstores will set up booths there. So it's a great festival and celebration of our bookstores. So what made them want to start this? I mean, we've already got the book crawl, we've got uh, the festival of books in the summer. How does this fit in? Right. So I spoke with Justine Initsuj, who owns Verbatim Books, and she said that she grew up in Hillcrest, and she worked at Fifth Avenue Books for a long time. And there in Hillcrest, there was a similar book fair. It was an open-air street festival, and she really wanted to recreate that again and also have it be in North Park by her store. And I imagine there was also some motivation to make some sort of outdoor shopping festival during the pandemic. Yeah, totally. And it wasn't just the in-person shopping that Verbatim Books was trying to fill the void for. Because ever since Verbatim expanded in 2019, they they more than doubled in size then. They really wanted to be the space for public events like readings and concerts to bring the literary community together. And you actually had a long conversation with Justine Initsuj from Verbatim Books about that. And I want to play that interview. Previously to the pandemic, we were doing almost uh, two events a week at a certain point, and uh, that just stopped cold, of course. Um, so we were really looking for ways to kind of, you know, kind of do something for the community that was fun, that wasn't indoors. So it was uh, the perfect answer to it. So can you tell us a little bit about what to expect on Saturday? There's so many independent bookstores other than Verbatim that will have booths, um, as well as small presses, authors, artists, and food. Uh, from my count, it looks like there's over 100 people involved. Is that right? Yeah, we have um, over 80 vendors and then a lot of local authors, just a ton of stuff, really. We try to get as much as we can fit into only three blocks, but it's a, it's a large three blocks. So you'll see a lot of uh, familiar faces and a lot of new stuff as well. We're excited to kind of just show you a little bit of what San Diego has to offer in terms of our literary community and also just a little bit of other things, too. We have some artists, we have some musicians. So just, you know, kind of things that are just interesting. And I think that fits in with what we do at our store. Um, just try to kind of show you something that you might not have seen before. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the live entertainment? Absolutely. We have, well, we do have a stage area. We traditionally always had a stage at the book fair. This year we're incorporating the mini park, which is really a cute 
addition to North Park. And it does actually have a built-in stage. So I'm very excited to kind of really make it the stage that I always kind of pictured in my head. Um, it's completely outdoors. It'll have lots of seating, sort of like an amphitheater style. And uh, we do always do like a kid's hour in the in the morning. We have a lot of um, like a local, you know, authors and readers, traveling stories. We have Joy Francisco, our local Filipino English um, author. She does a lot of like kids activities, teaching Filipino. And then Mr. Ryan, who's like a musician for kids. Then after that, we're going to have some music from Folk Arts Rare Records, which is like a local um, record store in North Park. And then in the afternoon, we have our, our famous open mic, which is really popular. Uh, it's a poetry open mic. It's hosted by Poets Underground. And uh, that goes um, for two hours in the afternoon. It's, that's probably our star event, I would say. Um, it's open to any, anybody who wants to join. And then in the evening time, we have more of the local author readings. So that'll be featuring our local authors that are participating at the fair that day. So you can really get a little bit of everything from the fair and then, you know, kind of come back, walk through the fair. There's something there all day. So I'm really excited for people to kind of, you know, be able to enjoy it for a, a while. So in 2019, Verbatim Books expanded. You took over the space next door, and now you have this big area. And then things like the San Diego Book Crawl continues to grow. We continue to get new indie bookstores here. What is it about independent bookstores that that are so enduring and customers keep coming back to them, even when we have these options like same-day shipping or, or audiobooks even and e-books? Oh, Yeah. Well, I think it's a wonderful time we live in. We, you know, you can wake up and think about a book and just get it, you know, in <laughs> an hour or less than a day. It's it's amazing. And that's just such a treat, I think. But I think a lot of it too is like what people really like or seem to like about our stores and, you know, the stores in San Diego is that it's a lot more fun to shop at a bookstore than it is to shop online. I'll tell you that. And I think a lot of people might agree with me. But in my opinion, I think it's just more, you know, we just have a good time. And so nobody's like, oh, shoot, I have to go shop at Verbatim Books today. Darn it. I think it's more of a fun thing to do. And uh, you can make a day of it as well. You know, indie bookstores definitely provide that service where they're kind of adding that value where not only is it kind of interesting to shop for something new that you might not know about, it's like pre-curated, they're, you know, also providing things like events, you know, author readings, just like in-store stuff that might be interesting to you. So you are unique, even in this sea of unique independent bookstores in San Diego, because Verbatim sells mostly used and rare books. How do you see yourself fitting into that community? I think we all have a very symbiotic relationship with, you know, Verbatim Books and the other bookstores in town. Yeah, I feel like we all have a little niche that we fill and it like completely makes this whole community that really covers all the bases, all the corners of literature. So I think that's wonderful. And I think you see that with the San Diego Book Crawl. When people go around to all of the different bookstores, you know, you really get an idea of how much there is, you know, and how kind of personal a bookstore can be too. So it's certainly definitely a more of a personal view, you know, you personal endeavor as well, like how you curate a store. So I think that our store is very much you know, our style. And that's just how it is. And um, we do get a lot more uh, randomness, I like to say, because we are used. So we, you never know what you'll find because we never know what we'll find. So it's kind of fun, though. 
So hopefully a lot of people will be out shopping for books on Saturday and then choosing what to add to their to-be-read piles. Can you give us a book recommendation? Oh, you know, well, that's a that's a bit of a tough question. I do like when people ask that in the store, I always like to kind of ask them a little bit about themselves, sort of like a little personality quiz, because it kind of is it's very personal. And I always uh, say, you know, if I get it really wrong, please, you can bring it back and I'll, you know, I'll give you a refund I'll try, or I'll try again. <laughs> Personally, I, I just kind of read a little bit of everything. And I really try to kind of get an idea of like, Know what's out there, and that helps me with my job. You know, I do um, almost all the the buying for the store, so I'm always interested in like what people are reading. But personally, I just like to read kind of just whatever. Um, lately, I was reading uh, some Amy Tan. I saw a uh, a really good PBS documentary about her it came out last month, I believe, and it was so interesting. And I really loved her in high school. I'd actually read almost all of her things back then, so I just reread a few of her titles and um, The Joy Luck Club and uh, The Hundred Secret Senses, and just kind of revisiting things like that I had read before so long ago. It was really kind of nice to kind of revisit that story that I remembered so well, but also sort of seeing how how different I'm, I was while, you know, remembering how I felt about it back then versus now. That was Justine and Nitsuj talking about the North Park Book Fair, which is on Saturday from 10 to 5, And you are listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman here with Julia Dixon-Evans, and we're talking about what's going on in arts and culture this weekend. Julia, first up, some visual art from the Works Progress Administration in the 1930s and 40s. Uh, So what is the Works Progress Administration exactly? Right. So the Works Progress Administration, otherwise known as the WPA, it was created by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1930s in the thick of the Great Depression. And this was to give work to unemployed artists. And the scope of these government-funded programs was incredible. There's nothing like it. And they put a, a lot of art in front of everyday Americans, whether that's visual art or music and performances, um, and also give work to these artists. But what has happened is it's created this like archive of art that we have from this period in history. And a lot of this art captured the mood and the setting of the time. There's a lot of laborers in, in this art industry, these harsh backdrops, normal everyday life, and just a lot of hardships. And so this is an exhibit. It's called Art for the People at Oceanside Museum of Art. And these are all works from the WPA era. And it's from the Dykstra collection. Sandra and Bram Dykstra are art collectors in San Diego. And they'll periodically curate exhibitions like this from their collections in local museums. Um, This one has about 45 pieces. A lot of it's California heavy, so it features California artists. And yeah, it opens on Saturday and it'll be up through early November before it travels to the Huntington. Oh, and the Dykstras also have a music collection, too, that is particularly celebrated during Black Music Month, right? Right. It's the Dykstra Black Music Collection, and it has over 8,000 records that span the history of jazz, of blues, reggae, and R&B. When the collection was actually offered to San Diego State, they had declined it. So now Stanford has the $2 million collection. And that is where you can check it out. Les Salon de Musique will have a tribute to three women composers who didn't get the attention they deserved during their lifetimes. So tell me, who are these women? 
So the one with the most recognizable name is Fanny Mendelssohn. You probably know because of her younger brother, Felix, but uh, she's regarded as a brilliant composer, especially the more works of hers that are discovered. And there's also a feature documentary in the works about Fanny. And according to the producers of that, her brother, Felix, actually disapproved of her publishing her work under her own name. Um, Les Salon Musiques will play the piano trio in D minor. This that we're listening to now is from the first movement. It's this really evocative and emotive allegro. It has these really complex and presumably really difficult piano parts to play. And they'll also play a work by Amanda Meyer, who is a Swedish composer and violinist. Her work was largely cast aside after her death, but it's also being rediscovered. She was married to composer Engelbert Ronchian. They're also playing work by Dora Piacevic, who is a Croatian who, unlike the other two women in this program, she didn't write in the shadow of a man throughout her life. But, um, of course, while she did shine and compose a ton of work during her life, She's still um, mostly been left out of the history books. So this is a four o'clock show on Sunday at the La Jolla Women's Club. It's also closing weekend for the musical Destiny of Desire at the Old Globe. What, uh, what can you tell us about that? So it's a musical comedy. This is a super prolific playwright, Karen Zacharias. It's crafted as an homage to the Mexican telenovela or, or soap operas. And it's about two young women who were swapped at birth. They lead very different lives, but of course, their paths cross again. And this is a feminist twist on the telenovela. So while it has a lot of the structures and the plot lines, like twists and scandals, the women are strong and they're smart. And here's a little clip. Sebastian, it is me. Fabiola. Pilar. Mommy. Sebastian. Fabiola. Mommy. So there's music and dance, uh, mariachi and tango, and it all closes on Sunday. So there's 8 p.m. shows tonight, Friday and Saturday, a 7 o'clock show on Sunday, and then there are two 2 o'clock matinees, both on Saturday and Sunday, and that's your last chance. Lots to get into in the San Diego area. You can find details on these and more events or sign up for Julia's weekly arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor, Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, as always, thank you. Thank you, Jade. Have a good weekend. You too. Coming up, there's new leadership at the Diversionary Theater. We'll sit down with a new executive director. The fight is ahead of us, both to create the adventurous, joyous things we see on stage while maintaining the right for trans and queer people to thrive in the society. KPBS Midday Edition is back after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by 
the San Diego County Toyota dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Diversionary is the nation's third oldest LGBTQ plus theater and is dedicated to amplifying queer voices through the performing arts. This month, its executive artistic director, Matt Morrow, will be leaving after eight years running the theater. Diversionary just announced that its managing director, Ginny Case, has been promoted to executive director. And KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando spoke with Case about taking on this new role. Jenny, you have been with Diversionary Theater for quite a few years, but you now have this new role as executive director. So what is this going to entail for you? Yeah, I've been here for six years. Um, I've been a teammate with Matt and Skylar, and we've been doing this um, together. And they're moving on, which Matt was the executive artistic director, and I was the managing director. So admin side, art side, but he was the executive. And now I will be the admin and executive side, which will mean a lot more fundraising, more responsibility for outreach and community and organizing. But uh, we will find another artistic director who will bring in that vision. So. So you're not exactly replacing him entirely in terms of the artistic director side, but you are going to be involved in finding the new artistic director? Correct. So we'll still have a dual leadership model, which is common in theaters, where I will take care of the business and administrative and general leadership and executive work and budgeting and all of these things. And then we will um, find, a dual, we're doing a national search Right now, we are in interview process with some firms that conduct these searches for us, and we are going to find the best leader possible for our artistic side. And there are not many women in your position, and I believe this is the first woman in the leadership role here at Diversionary. Is that true? I believe that's true. And how does that feel? I think that when Matt joined the theater, he specifically transformed the theater to embrace all of the letters, all of the generations, all of the age groups of the LGBTQIA community, which is not monolithic whatsoever. And he started bringing in a lot of female energy, playwrights, directors. And so the theater has grown and transformed to support the entire community. And that is certainly reflected in our staff and our community and our donors and our patrons more than historically it had been. And we're going to keep that going. And so being a female leader of the institution, I just feel like a leader of the institution. But um, I realize that being a female actually means many things to many people as far as getting to see leadership. So I'm ready for it. And Diversionary Theater, like many arts organizations, had to go through a lot of transition during the pandemic. And you also, during this time, went through a remodel. So how do you feel right now in terms of where Diversionary Theater sits in the San Diego theater community? With the um, pandemic, we shut down and, as you said, remodeled our building to incorporate new seating in the theater and a new cabaret space downstairs. And having the vibrant building match what is the vibrant art on stage was our goal. And I think we've accomplished that. Currently, right now, we have exceeded our single ticket sales goals for the year, our subscription sales 
this season has uh, really reflected both the growth of the theater and our community around us. And we plan to keep that going. Matt has programmed a dynamic season coming up. Three wonderful shows for his last hurrah. He won't be here anymore, but the season that we will be producing was uh, designed by him. And we will find the next leader. That said, American theater is struggling right now. And we are a beloved theater in San Diego. All humans are invited to diversionary theater and we celebrate everyone. And we have a, um, we're known for punching above our weight class as far as the artistic vision and what's on stage for the size of our organization. But we're also the only theater that actually carries the weight of also being a queer theater, an LGBTQIA plus theater in a time right now when our society is really struggling with the civil rights aspect for our community. So the fight is ahead of us both to create the adventurous, joyous things we see on stage while maintaining the right for trans and queer people to thrive in this society. So when you found out that you were taking on this role, what was kind of the first thing that came to your mind in terms of this is what I want to tackle or this is what I would like to kind of focus my interests on? I think what many institutions are dealing with post-pandemic and post-George Floyd is business practice. And also with AB5, like theaters and budgets, we've had to just sort of renegotiate how we do business. And those who aren't able to actually find a path through these new challenges are struggling. I think one of my biggest plans for the theater is to restructure our staff in a way where we have this amazing group of people now we've brought on board. It's the biggest staff we've had so far, but it's also just filled with the right people doing the right work. It's going to be very exciting to create a different management model inside the institution to help these people thrive and help diversionary just grow even further. And if I understand correctly, the job that you currently hold as managing director was created for you. And I'm just wondering, how did working or how does working in that position, like what have you learned from that aspect of the theater that you feel is going to help you moving into this executive director position? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I was brought on six years ago, Matt brought me on specifically with my background in general management of uh, professional theater, working 16 years at La Jolla Playhouse, to professionalize diversionary and bring it to the next level of how we treat actors, unionite, you know, using unions, actors, HR, all of these things. And so we have done that together. And now we're in a time in society where all of that is shifting and how business and management of staff is regarded. So in this era, it is a time of dynamic change for how we manage staff and how we run an organization. And I think being at the ground floor of diversionary, when we first began this growth and helping this growth be responsible and staged in a way that could be sustainable. And now we're at this pivot point where we really get to take that structure and foundation that we have and take us to the next level. And so diversionary is continuing to grow and we'll just do it smartly. And you just mentioned that you worked at La Jolla Playhouse for 16 years. Give us a little background on yourself and kind of what are you bringing to this role that maybe we don't know about? Um, so, yeah, uh, I was part of La Jolla Playhouse for 16 years. I was on the general management side and the company management side. Um, so that is everything from negotiating once the actors are cast 
negotiating their contracts, bringing them in, paying them, hugging them, holding them up when they need it, and just the care of having them be able to thrive and do what they need to do on stage. And that's always been a mission of mine, which is human centering this process, because I don't want to be the person on stage. There are very talented people out there who I'm going to help support beyond that stage. And that is my joy. So with that, at the Playhouse, I also have a love of new work and was able to be the line producer for all of the workshops we would do in New York. So going to New York and being in the room for Escape to Margaritaville as it was in development for months at a time or Bonnie and Clyde and all these other musicals. And with that, there's going to be more energy of that here for Diversionary as well. We have a lot of strong ties with New York and have some plans for some New York workshops coming up this year. And hopefully those new shows will then have a wonderful life, possibly here in San Diego. And you were also involved with the WOW or the Without Walls program there. And the kind of energy you get from that, which is very site-specific work and kind of breaking down boundaries, how might that kind of color your perspective on what kind of theater gets done at Diversionary? Yeah, I think the idea for WOW, I was a producer on one of the festivals and also produced a number of their individual WOW pieces throughout San Diego. And that idea of just looking at the experience, how the audience experiences the art, but also what's possible when you just step outside the theater is just that it goes back to that adventure, that new work, that mind expanding that WOW has to offer all of San Diego which is so exciting. And so it was a pleasure this year to get to have a diversionary show inside the WOW Festival where we produced a drive by Sharon Wheatley. And now that show is going on to have a whole nother life and it's going to become a full length play and hopefully find its way to both indoor and outdoor stages. And what do you see the role of diversionary being in the coming future? So theater is always about community gathering together to watch something watch some sort of transformation. And that is the joy of theater that is being together is part of the experience. I think with the pandemic, we went through not being together and we felt what that felt like and how it hurt. Even an introvert like me was like, where are my people? (laughs) So I think that the magic of diversionary, especially in this time where we hear that isolation and loneliness is now actually being registered by the CDC as like a health concern and having a space here at diversionary where folks can come and be together and witness something together is a transformative process for the human being. I also think that downstairs we have the Clark Cabaret and we are using that as both entertainment and bringing folks to be together to watch some fun show or live music, but also as a community gathering space or hosting people's mixers or different coalitions who might need a place to have a meeting. And so that place just is about serving community. You can walk in off the street and see something lovely and entertaining, but you also can use that space to come together and do the good work, whatever that might be. So it's a privilege to get to support the community with this theater. And you will be assuming this role at the beginning of July. How do you feel going into that? Are you going to just have like a massive amount of stuff to be dealing with right off the bat? Or do you get to kind of slowly transition into this? Yeah, we've been transitioning this month already. Matt is right next door to me right now. And we are sharing a lot and trying to download both directions. 
and as well as train up the new staff who will have to take over some of the things that I currently do so that I can do this pivot. So it's been exciting. It's been poignant. We try to like hug each other as much as we can and just honor the process, but not get too close to crying because, you know, that's just around the corner because we care so much about each other. And Skylar Sullivan, our director of education, who is Matt's husband, is a delight on the planet and so integral to the both we accomplishing all of our goals education wise, but also just being a generous spirit in the office. So, you know, um, there's some mourning that will be happening in July, but I think also we're going to be so busy that I won't have time to think too much about that. Pride is coming up. And so we're going to be running full force the second we hit July 1st. And what does Diversionary have coming up on the slate? Yeah. So we have Teen Versionary happening in July, and that's our education program where we do a summer camp for kids to devise some sort of theatrical work that we then present on our stage. And they get to be on a stage for two performances with work that they created. And that's very exciting. We also will have some entertainment in the cabaret regarding pride. And then coming up in the fall, we have Dragon Mama, which is starring Sarah Porkalob in her one-woman show. And she is a powerhouse of a performer. We are so thrilled to be presenting this show. And then the wonderful, beautiful legacy piece of The Glass Menagerie will be um, happening in December. So that's going to be extraordinary as well. Followed by, in the spring, we will have the amazing new musical, TLDR, which is Thelma and Louise Dyke remix. And it's a joy and it's punk rock and it is hilarious and powerful and just really going to be a dynamic show to see here at Diversionary. Well, thank you so much for talking about Diversionary Theater. Thank you, Beth. It's a pleasure to talk to you always. That was Beth Accomando speaking with Diversionary Theater's new executive director, Ginny Case. The theater kicks off its 38th season this fall. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com.